Welcome to the Defender Bible Study, a weekly encouragement to equip the body of Christ through the study of Scripture and prayer to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children around the world. This podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, where we believe that defending the fatherless begins by being rooted in God's Word. It's Monday, July 8, 2019, and today we are continuing our study on the book of Acts, and we will be going through Acts chapter 21, verse 37, through Acts chapter 22, verse 21. In the last several weeks, we have seen Paul heading back to Jerusalem. Friends and churches have persuaded him not to go to Jerusalem. Persecution has awaited him, and prophecies about that persecution have been given. His arrival into Jerusalem we've seen as the apostles were warning him of the potential uproar, and then we've seen his eventual capture in Jerusalem. And so all throughout the last several weeks, we've heard the refrain of Hebrews 12, 1 through 2, ringing through these last several weeks, where it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which so close cling so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And now we find in Acts chapter 21, verses 37 through 22, 21, Paul speak. Let's read what he says, starting in verse 37. As Paul was about to be brought into the barracks, he said to the tribune, May I say something to you? And he said, Do you know Greek? Are you not the Egyptian then who recently stirred up a revolt and led 4,000 men of the assassins out into the wilderness? Paul replied, I am a Jew from Tarsus and Cilicia, a citizen of no obscure city. I beg you, permit me to speak to the people. And when they had given him permission, Paul, standing on the steps, motioned with his hands to the people. And when there was a great hush, he addressed them in the Hebrew language, saying, Brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. And he said, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God, as all of you are this day. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women, as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. From them I received letters to the brothers, and I journeyed toward Damascus to take also those who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. As I was on my way and drew near to Damascus, about noon, a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me, and I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the light, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, who shall, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said, rise up and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. And since I could not see because of the brightness of the light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came into Damascus. And one, Ananias, a devout man according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me and standing by me said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour I received my sight and saw him. And he said, The God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one, and to hear a voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now, why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. 
When I had returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance, and I saw him saying to me, Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. And he said to me, Go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. You see, beloved, we see that Paul addresses the mob for two very clear reasons. The first is that he wanted them to know that he too was a Jew. He was a Jew from a prominent city, the city of Tarsus, and he had a pedigree. He wanted to identify with the people and let him know, let them know that their very first idea that he was against the Jews, that he was uh, believing that the gospel was not for Jews, was not in, was not correct. He was the Jew of all Jews, but he was also a follower of Christ. But secondly, he wanted to address the rabble to give the testimony, his testimony of grace, how he, an insolent and violent persecutor of those belonging to the way was met by Jesus and transformed. And his transformation was the result of the sovereign transforming grace of Jesus. Let us not be mistaken. Paul was using this mob and this opportunity to speak, uh, to speak as an opportunity to make the good news of Jesus Christ known. Paul was looking for every opportunity to preach the gospel. We see here the embodiment of everything that Paul had taught Timothy, the churches in Asia, the churches in Europe, and those whom he had penned his letters. We find that he was, he was making good on what he wrote to the Roman church in Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. He was being true to the words that he would pen Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.15, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. And then again in 2 Timothy 4.1-5, where he says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience in teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears, and they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and will turn away from listening to the truth, and will wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. And then he was being true to what he would write to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians 1.17 when he said, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. You see, beloved, the question today is, what is your testimony? What is our testimony? Are we taking every opportunity to make the gospel known in our relationships, in our counseling opportunities, in our neighborhoods, in our families, and even in the places which pose the most danger to our reputation and to our safety? Beloved, we must always be about making much of Jesus. Paul's life was radically repositioned and realigned when at noon a light brighter than the sun blinded him and brought him to his knees. He had a dramatic encounter with Jesus when he was confronted by his own sin and his own zealotness and his own pride. Jesus could have executed Paul. Think about it. Paul was a threat to the, the people who Jesus had died, his blood had shed over. Paul was a threat to believers in Damascus. Paul was a threat to believers all around the Roman Empire. Paul could have easily been executed that day by Jesus on the road to Damascus. But instead, Jesus turned a murderer into the greatest evangelist by God's amazing grace. 
Paul was commissioned by Jesus, and we see in three distinct ways. And beloved, I want us to see today that these also mirror the commissioning of all Christ followers. Paul's commission given by Christ first was by grace alone. It was through grace alone. We see again in verse 14 that it says, The God of our fathers appointed Paul. This is a very similar language to the commissioning of Moses, that the God of our fathers, or specifically the God of our fathers, appointed you to know his will. This is what it says in Exodus 3, 14 through 15, when God speaks to Moses and appoints him through a a burning bush. It says this, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, Do you hear that? The God of your fathers, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. What is the importance of this word, the God of our fathers? You see, this is beloved, marvelous grace. Moses was a murderer who was ostracized from his people and was hiding among the mirage of sheep in Midian. Paul was an executor of Christians hiding behind the mirage of law keeping zealot. Neither men were worthy of the call of God. Oh, but beloved, the God of their fathers called them, not because of their worth, but because of his unmerited grace. And beloved, neither are we worthy. You see, we are commissioned through grace alone by the God of our fathers because we are utterly dependent upon that grace. But secondly, we see that Paul was commissioned, and so are we, by Christ alone. Verse 14 continues, When it says to see the righteous one and to hear the voice from his mouth, we see this title, the righteous one. So first it was the God of our fathers and now it's the righteous one. And this is what we see. This is an allusion to Christ as the righteous one. And this also has ties to the Old Testament. Words of Isaiah. In in Isaiah 53, I know we all probably have heard this passage of of the, the, the prophecy of the suffering servant, but Isaiah 53 verses 5 through 6 says, He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Then we see in verse 11, out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, see it, the righteous one, my servant, make many to be counted righteous and he shall bear their iniquities. Oh, beloved, the righteous one is the one that would come. This is a foreshadowing of Jesus. The only way that Paul could have been made righteous was through the righteous one of God. That means Jesus the Christ. It was not through religious effort. It was only through Christ. It was by grace alone, through Christ alone. And this would have struck a mark on this Jewish audience. It was not out of performance that they would earn salvation or that they would earn the opportunity to be with God, but through the matchless work of Christ. And this is the work that we are saved and sent out to. You see, we are commissioned by Christ alone, the obedient servant, the righteous one who is pierced for our transgressions. We are commissioned into his footsteps. But then last and thirdly, we are commissioned for the glory of God alone. Verses 15 and 16 pick up and say this, For you will be my witnesses for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now, why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. Oh, 
Paul would give witness to people of varied ethnicities and social classes. He would take the message of the gospel to many and pour out his life for the gospel. But it was not for his name's sake. It was not for another's name's sake, but it was for the glory of God alone. And this conjures up the final phrase of the Great Commission when it says, And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. You see, beloved, this is not only a promise of provision and power, but it's an expression that as we go, we go to show and proclaim the glory of God. So whatever you do, whether you drink or eat, do it all for the glory of God. Beloved, we were given our salvation not for ourselves, but for the glory of God. And this is what commissions us to take the gospel to the vulnerable and the orphan. This is what burns on our heart to make as many contacts with women going through crisis pregnancies or or families in crisis. This is why we work with missional Christian families through adoption. It is not for our own fame, but for the overwhelmingly great glory of our almighty God. Why are we called the gospel-driven justice? (laughs) You see, beloved, we will never in our lifetime see an alleviation of poverty. We will never see the end of the orphan crisis in our lifetime. We will never see the end of injustice. So why do we keep fighting for gospel-driven justice? Is it all futile? No, it's not futile because until Christ returns, sin will continue to fight and rear its ugly head against the image bearers of God. It's not futile, it's not futile because when we fight injustice and we seek reconciliation, we are ultimately showing an expression of the glory of God. When we fight against that injustice, it's not because we believe that we'll see an end to it, but it's because we are, are fighting for the glory of God. And this is why we stay true at Lifeline to our gospel calling. And this is why we never compromise. Because everything we do must be done for the glory of God. So Paul was specifically commissioned to preach the good news to the unreached, to the Gentiles. And we see this in verse 21. And at this point, the people are enraged, right? And so Jesus tells Paul, go for I will send you far away to the Gentiles in verse 21. But if we pick up the next verse outside of our passage today, it says up into this word, they, the the mob had listened to him, Paul, but then they raised their voices and said, away with such a fellow from the earth for he shall not be allowed to live. Oh, beloved, let us know that when we place our lives and vocations on the line for the gospel, our message and our work will not always be accepted. We can never please all people. The message of the gospel is foolishness and folly to those who are perishing. So in conclusion, we see three features of Paul's defense of the gospel that should guide our daily defense and proclamation of the gospel. Number one, Paul shows great compassion. Even to this mob who had surrounded him and arrested him and bound him with two chains, Paul shows grace and compassion. Even in this truly intense moment, Paul is calm, he's meek, he's gentle, and he's respectful. He doesn't respond in anger or begin attacking back. We must also ask the Lord to continually give us grace and to be compassionate, even in the midst of great hostility. The truth is, we may never face this type of persecution. We never may be arrested and, and have a mob that's looking to kill us. Oh, but beloved, we will face adversity. Because when we take this gospel, it is countercultural. It is offensive to those who are perishing. It is folly to those who do not know the truth. But we also see this posture of compassion in the life of Christ. Matthew 9, verse 35 through 38 tells us that when Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. 
because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the God of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Oh, beloved, we must show compassion amidst adversity. Oh, there are children that are adopted, and they may bring adversity to our home. There are children that we will foster that may be uh, bring adversity to our home. There are birth families that we may reach out to that will show adversity, but we must also always show the compassion of Christ. But secondly, we see that through the defense of the gospel that Paul shows great courage. In the face of great adversity, Paul didn't bend, and he certainly didn't sugarcoat his words. Instead, he spoke with great boldness. Yes, he had compassion, but he also had boldness. You see, many Christians can muster it long enough to remain calm because they end up speaking words that placate or satisfy those who are angry. They end up telling people what they want to hear instead of what they need to hear. They end up giving itching ears things that will itch their ears. They don't speak truth. Oh, but beloved, we must speak truth and love. We must be bold and compassionate. We must be truthful and loving. It is not loving if we only speak the truth in harshness. And it's also not loving if we fail to speak the truth. If your child is running into the road and there is a car barreling down upon them and you do not tell them to stop, then you are not loving to your child, even though your words may be harsh and your words may be cutting. In the same way, this world is running into a street and the car of sin is looking to destroy them. We must speak truth because it is loving. Ephesians 4.15, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into whom him who is the head into Christ. Only Christians can love people and stand firmly on the gospel against the wind of culture will have anything to offer this broken world. You see, only those that love people and stand firm on the gospel can say anything against the winds of this culture. Oh, we need people who will stand firm, that will not placate, that will not try to join the cultural revolution because they don't want to be left behind, but will be loving and firm. We see this courage in the face of Jesus as well. Knowing the Pharisees would eventually call for his death, Jesus with courage speaks to them words of both truth and love. Matthew 12, starting in verse 34, he says this, You brood of vipers! How can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, you, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified, and by your words, you will be condemned. Jesus gives them both their condemnation, but also a way of escape through confessing his name. We must speak truth in love. We must have resilient courage in the face of adversity. But then lastly and thirdly, we see that through the defense of the gospel, Paul shows great clarity in his calling. Paul knew his assignment was to preach the gospel. And this too is our job. In many places throughout Acts, we have seen many respond positively to Paul's message and, and turn from death to life. When Paul preached, many would come to saving faith in Christ. There were times he would spend months preaching because so many were coming to Christ. And yet at other times, we see the crowds beat him, stone him, and literally leave him for dead. And we see that in Jesus. 
The rich young ruler comes and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And what does Jesus say? He says, do you know the commandments? The rich young ruler says, yes, I've known all the commandments. And Jesus says, well, that does you well. Now go sell everything you have and give it to the poor and then follow me. And the rich young ruler goes away sad. Oh, beloved, we are not responsible for the results of what happens when we preach the gospel. We are responsible for sharing it and being faithful to live it out. Paul never once away shrinks away from the delivery, the message of faith that was once and for all delivered to the saints, and neither should we be. And the truth of the matter is we know that Jesus had clarity in his calling all the way to the cross. In this life, we will face trouble, but take heart, beloved, because Christ Jesus has overcome the world. And we must preach the gospel. We must know our commission is by grace alone, through faith alone, for the glory of God alone. And then we must have compassion, courage, and clarity in the way that we defend, proclaim the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, thanks for joining us for the Defender Bible Study. This week, we are praying for the country of Dominican Republic. We are praying that the boys who live at La Beliza will trust Christ as their Savior and know the love of their Heavenly Father for them. We're praying for unity and strength among the staff at the home, the teachers, the leaders, the cooks, and the groundskeeper. We're praying for wisdom for unadopted to grow and deepen the relationships with the Hazlitts and to find new ways to walk alongside their ministry. We're praying for the caregiver training that will take place this July and for the team that will go and serve at the home. We're praying for the church in DR, that they will be faithful to teach the gospel. We pray for missionaries through IMB and IJM and other missionaries who have been sent uh, to be serving in the, the country of DR. We pray that they will have many opportunities to form relationships and to share their faith as well as to empower the local church. We pray for the central authority, Kanani, and families. We pray for them as they work to advocate for the children, as they make decisions that will affect the children. We pray for wisdom and creativity for them as they seek to meet the children's needs and also enact for better policies to help more families and children be reunited. We pray for our team that will be traveling to have a meeting with the central authority on July 15th to advocate for better processes. And we pray that the Lord would bring mission-minded families that are excited about a five to six month in-country stay through adoption. And we are praying for our Dominican Republic team for wisdom and grace for our in-country team here, uh, Madeline Venice, our lawyer Sheila, and our facilitator and our host. We also pray for Beth, Farah, Josh, and our unadopted team. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the opportunities to work uh, with La Baliza. Uh, and the work that they are doing there on the northern shore of Dominican Republic. Father, we also just ask that you would give their unity and strength and wisdom to their team and give us wisdom as we continue to partner with them. We pray for other missionaries that are going down to the Dominican Republic to serve you there. Father, we also just lift up uh, Punta Cana to you. We know that through the last several weeks we have seen mysterious deaths happening in Punta Cana of many different people. And Lord, we just pray that that the end of this would would be found and, and that a cure to this would be found. Lord, we pray for the adoption process in DR. We ask for clarity in this process. We just ask for streamlining and better policies that will help families and children be be reunited, but also that will uh, allow more children to be adopted and in a, a, a much more expedient way. 
Lord, we uh, do pray that currently mission-minded families would be called to live in-country for five to six months through this adoption process. But Lord, we just also pray that there would be a way that that could be shortened uh, to, to, to allow more families to get into the adoption process. And Lord, we thank you for the wonderful team of Madeline and Sheila and Beth and Farah and Josh, our unadopted team that you have assembled uh, to partner in the Dominican Republic, and just ask that you would continue to give them clarity, wisdom, and grace. Lord, we just thank you so much for the opportunity to work in Dominican Republic. We thank you for the way that you are shining in that country and pray that your glory, your grace, and your gospel would be made known in real and mighty ways. And it's in your name we pray, the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks again for joining us for the Defender Bible Study. If you enjoy making this podcast a part of your weekly routine, we'd love for you to take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the Defender Bible Study to make it easier for more people to find. For more resources and information on how you and your church can partner with Lifeline, please visit us at lifelinechild.org. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at lifelinechild.org. We look forward to seeing you again next week for the Defender Bible Study.